Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about this fantastic last week of racing. Joining me in the studio is Seth Eggert, Gray Warren, Richard Uden, and guest panelist Brock Beard. Fellas, how you doing tonight? Doing good. Thanks for having me. NASCAR has wrapped up their season, and it was at the end of the day, after we, you know, went back and forth, it was Kyle Busch getting two championships. So, uh, uh, Gray, Seth, whichever one of you guys is going to want to jump in, pretty good race down on Homestead. It was a pretty good uh, race. Yeah, it was. You had a pretty much dominated by the – by the principal four principles that uh, that were in contention for the championship, it didn't seem like there was a whole other than Kyle Larson. It didn't seem like there was a lot anybody else that uh, you know offered any uh, any challenge to, to to even you know win the race. Uh, looked like you know Martin Truex was gonna gonna run away with it there until he had a little bit of trouble there. Uh, in the second stage, and uh, that allowed uh, Kyle Busch to uh, come to the forefront and uh, pretty much uh, dominate the second half of the race and uh, and win the championship. It, it came down to the team that made the fewest mistakes, if any mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denny Hamlin was overheating because they put too much tape on the car. Right. Kevin Harvick just had the wrong strategy. Martin Truex Jr., somehow they uh, swapped the left and right front tires in Stage 2, as you alluded to, which is virtually unheard of, at least in the top echelon of NASCAR today. In my mind, that was an amateur move. It it Uh, does happen from time to time. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. alluded to during the broadcast that one time it happened to him in testing, and they couldn't figure out why he was two seconds off of what he was running the previous day until they took the tires off. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. The the Gibbs team point they 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 kind of figured out right away what happened what went wrong, and the 
caution that they needed happened to fall just when they needed to to keep uh, Martin from losing a lap. So uh, so he kind of stayed in the mix there. And honestly, watching this whole thing, I thought Martin had them covered until the later stages when he just kind of faded. Yeah, and, and true. He, he lost control of the race is basically what happened. He When you're running out front, you're up, you, you pretty much control the race. You control uh, a lot of the strategy. Uh, you know, if you if you if you're in the lead, a lot of people are going to follow suit when you when you chose to uh, choose to come to pit road and things like that. Plus, you're in clean air, which is which we all know how how critical that is. Um, and and up until that point, he he was. But uh, you know, there's a lot of things with with those that the left and right side tires, two generally two different compounds. Uh, left side tire left sides are a little bit softer than the rights. Uh, the circumference of the tires is, is, is a bit different, and the air pressure, the static uh, air pressure uh, in the tires is, is different as well. So he knew immediately when he went back on the track that something was wrong. Uh, he knew on the access road. Uh, yeah. The the way the team realized it, although Cole Pern uh, essentially realized it by looking at the tires, mm-hmm. uh, in part it was Clayton Hughes, the uh, spotter, I think that's uh, Martin Spotter. I may right, be that's mistaken. right. That's right. That's yeah. right. But uh, the Goodyear tires, the Goodyear's only written on the outside portion of the tire. So if they had swapped them, then the part of the tire they were seeing was a blank side. No, so no, the no, tire was no. mounted wrong, not just no. installed wrong. Then. No, at no, least one. It, no, it, no, it, that no. What they they saw they saw the writing, the how it was written okay, on the, the tire. It was, they have a mark on it that says they have big okay. letters of right RF or left or LF on the tire. That's what that was the original key that they noticed. They talked to the tire specialist and the tire specialist laid the tires out the same way they always do on, on, on pit wall. They're saying that the tire carrier just picked them up inadvertently, had the wrong one. You know, he, tire carrier carries both tires. He He had them just crossed and uh and, and that's what led to the mistake i've seen it happen before um and uh it's just one of those things that it, it, you know you you get used to uh to doing something and in the heat of the moment you just pick it up and you've got the wrong tire and like you said it, it's it's rare it's very strange but you know what a what a costly mistake uh for uh for the 19 team, because like I said, that changed the whole uh, changed the whole complexion of the race for for them and everyone else. Then later on, like I said, Hamlin and his team, uh, the tire carrier put the tape on in the wrong spot. Unlike other teams, which use a narrow strip of tape that if they put it on the wrong uh, spot, it won't overheat. They were using one that looked almost like a two by four. How wide it was! Yeah, it was a it was a very large piece of tape. And I'm I, I'm a in, in my way of thinking, I don't care where they had put it uh, on that on the grill. It was that was going to block off a substantial amount yeah. of air. It didn't matter what side what side high low left or right. They were going to have a problem. That that was just too big a piece of tape to to put over that uh, to over that opening. But there again, yeah, that was huge, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was huge. And it, and and the part I think it was a gamble. They they were looking for something to try to get a little bit more speed out of the car, 
and it was a gamble that didn't work. And, uh, you know, it just because Denny was not running, uh, you know, his lap times were not as good as the other the other three cars. And then, like you said, Harvick, uh, Harvick's car uh, had terrific short run speed. He showed that uh, several times during the race. But but on the long runs, he, his car was just not up to uh, up to speed. Probably the most consistent car was the was the 18. Yeah, so let, let's talk about Kyle Busch for a little bit. I mean, his initial championship back in 2015, some folks think that was not legit because he missed a uh, substantial portion of the season due to injury, but due to the, uh, you know, the uh, chase waiver and whatnot, he was able to uh, get himself into the correct points position and, and, and with the win. Uh, get into the playoffs and then win the thing. Now he has done this thing from start to finish, and uh, yeah, he had a little dry spell through the uh, late part of the season. But um, I mean, does this legitimize Kyle Busch as a legitimate NASCAR champion? Because there's so many folks, and I'm talking about folks that uh, comment on on you know social media that said he. he really shouldn't have won the first one. I mean, did this really uh, lock Kyle Busch into being a NASCAR great? Well, you, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously, when you look at the the the, uh, the setup for the points championship now as it is, you know, with the with the playoffs and the chase, whatever you you want to call it. I mean, he he won it fair and square the first time. Obviously, I see what people are talking about. He didn't run the entire season, but under the under the rules as they as they were, uh, you know, he pre, he prevailed. Uh, Kyle's legacy is safe. I mean, yeah, I, honestly, I think you know, like you said, in the eyes of many, this probably does legitimize a championship, uh, you know, for Kyle. But I mean, gracious me, I mean, he's he's the most prolific uh, driver of his of his generation. I mean, look at the look at the wins. He's got over 200 wins across the three major touring series. Uh, you know, over well, let's see, yeah, over 200 wins. You know, when you combine truck, truck, uh, Xfinity, and, and Cup, uh, that was his 56th uh, Cup victory. And I believe uh, what's that got him about eighth or ninth on the uh, all-time list? Is that correct, Seth? Somewhere in that area? Yeah. Correct. Uh, he moved away from being tied with Rusty Wallace. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you know, and he's only 34 years old. 30. Think about that. 34 years old. He's just now getting into what many consider the prime of one's Cup career. I mean, you know, um, and he's got a ways to go. He's you know he's he's already approaching 100 Xfinity wins, and he says he'll he'll step away from Xfinity once he gets that. And I'm sure he'll dabble in trucks, you know, for, for as many races as, he, as he's allowed to each season. But, you know, I think the best is best is 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 ahead for Kyle as far as his Cup uh, uh, career goes. I mean, it's uh, I mean, the sky's the limit. You know, how many races will he will he end uh, end up with? Because he's going to fast climb the climb the ladder to to get up there and at least challenge maybe David Pearson for second place on the all-time list. I Honestly, I don't know if he'll challenge David Pearson. And the main reason why I'm saying that is there wasn't a time very long ago 
that we were talking about the same thing for Jimmy Johnson, who ended up plateauing, mm-hmm. and he hasn't been able to get that magical 83rd win. Yeah, but you know, so, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just saying that it, it's well within reach for, it, for 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 Kyle because I mean, you look if Kyle wants to, I mean, he to me, he's probably got another good 10 years left in his in his career, and you figure you you win uh, five races a year, which is, is Kyle could do. I mean, basically, uh, you know, with the new rules package and he's going to step away from Xfinity, uh, you know, that, that he, he can, you know, really double down on, on, on the cup series. In theory. Yes. But he statistically speaking, he wins more races when he's able to run an Xfinity truck. I don't oh, mean, sure. uh, I don't mean the Xfinity truck races. I mean, the cup races, but, that being said, he is actually dabbling in a little bit more than just NASCAR. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple weeks ago, he announced he's going to run the 24 Hours of Daytona with Aim Vassar Sullivan, right. uh, the Lexus team, which he's only doing because he can't run the Xfinity and truck races he wants to run, or as many of them anyway. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, but think, like I said, I, I'm thinking maybe, maybe he can, you know, they can double down. And I mean, you know, Kyle has got some good seasons ahead of him. Uh, so we'll see what, uh, I mean, like I said, it's not impossible. I said, that's why I said he could challenge uh, Pearson's, uh, you know, uh, status as a, as a second uh, leading all-time winner in, in Cup. But, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think he will, uh, he will climb that ladder uh, and pro- possibly uh, exceed uh, – uh, and at least get into rarefied air by by you know, moving into the top five all time list. I would think. Now we're talking a little bit about history. Uh, history was made in a couple of different ways this past weekend. For one, Joe Nemechek uh, eclipsed Richard Petty's all time start record in the NASCAR National Series. Tyler Reddick uh, became the first driver to win back-to-back championships in the Xfinity Series for two different teams. Mm -hmm. And as Richard alluded to before the show, uh, it is the first time he'd have had repeat champions in all three of NASCAR's major series in the same year. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the other champions we had. Uh, because we, we settled three championships this weekend, so we all know Kyle Busch won the Cup Series. So, uh, Seth uh, and or Greg, take us through the, um, you know, the, the, the truck finale and the Xfinity finale. Well, starting with the Xfinity Series, uh, t- it came down to the big three, Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer, and Christopher Bell. Uh, the three of them were battling back and forth for a while, and it looked like it was going to be once again a race for Christopher Bell, especially with the way he's run uh, this year. Then it swung to Cole Custer. Then it swung to Tyler Reddick. Ultimately, it was Reddick's race to lose, and Reddick won. And he won convincingly, convincingly too, by over a second. Uh, for a while, it was him and Custer at the end, back and forth within a, a couple of tenths until Custer bounced off the wall trying to run Reddick down. In the truck series... Matt Crafton became the first driver to win the championship without winning a race. Uh, He was the best finishing driver of the four championship competitors, Ross Chastain, Brett Moffin, Stuart Friesen. 
Uh, he ran up front the entire race, ended up finishing second. Austin Hill won the race. And finishing third, Christian Eckes, who will replace uh, Todd Gilliland at Kyle Busch Motorsports, uh, won the owner's championship for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, interesting enough, the, our new truck champion, our, our new truck champion, did he not, like, make some comments early on about the uh, <laughs> the format and whatnot and, and uh, you know, yes, how, it, yes. how it's uh, unfair and now suddenly... He's kind of fine with it that he's won a championship with that one. Yes, race. exactly that. Exactly that. Uh, uh, especially after Vegas, when his two teammates were eliminated due to the uh, Elmore engines uh, issues that they had that weekend, uh, he he and his team were uh, both saying that this format is unfair. They should get a waiver for Grant Enfinger and for Johnny Sauter that it's impossible to win a championship in these conditions. And he ended up winning the championship. Uh, to those who say that he it shouldn't be possible to win a championship without winning a race, Austin Dillon did that before the playoff era, era in the Xfinity Series. And Matt Crafton finished second to Kyle Busch earlier this year. So if Kyle Busch wasn't in that race, Crafton would have won that race. Just some food for thought in those two categories. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all, you know, comes down to what this, what this means to the to the series and and how this playoff system works. Um, you know, mind you, the the trucks and the Xfinities are not under the microscope of the, you know, uh, of the media as are the the Cup series, and the Cup series has had the champion win the race um, each year of this thing, but that possibility does exist that we could have a you know, somebody that doesn't even win the race uh, or, or, or all four guys, you know, collide with one another uh, early in the race and whoever you know, stretches <laughs> you know, whoever car screeches to a halt closest to the finish line wins the championship. It is well, possible. Yeah, it's not unprecedented either because uh, Austin Dillon's uh, Xfinity Championship several years ago uh, was won in pretty much the same fashion. Austin won the championship without winning a, winning a race during the course of the year. But, I mean, NASCAR's championship points deal has always rewarded consistency. 
I mean, the added, you know, with the chase and the the new format, it actually it it rewards winning, no doubt. But uh, there again, uh, with the elimination process, and if you can be consistent, uh, the way the way it's it, it's it is, it's it, it's more prevalent that you can jump in and you know and, and are able to to claim a championship without a win. So yeah, that's that's happened. And of course, I think we go back to the to the Matt Kenseth championship under the old format, he won, he won it by winning only one race. And I think you even go back even further. Benny Parsons uh, won uh, his championship back in 1973 with uh, winning uh, only one race, I believe as well. It's non-precedented. And just theoretically, uh, someone can go and win all the stages all season long and say the cup series very granted it's extremely unlikely that would ever happen but if they, that were to happen leading into homestead they would have 70 playoff points which looking at how many playoff points that kyle bush had uh, as a cushion which was just 54 uh which got him all the way to homestead in the end uh in theory, it could happen in the Cup Series. Extremely it unlikely. Could. Yeah, it could. It could happen. And I tell you, uh, another thing too, that I thought that was that was uh, pretty remarkable, uh, or, or bears mentioning, both in Xfinity and Cup, the regular season champions were ultimately crowned champions uh, in their respective divisions. Correct, and in which I think is the second time for Cup, and I believe it's the uh, first time for Xfinity. In Truck, it was the teammate of Grant Enfinger, who was the regular season champion, uh, Matt Crafton, who won the championship. So Mm -hmm. it stayed within the same team or same organization, at least. Yeah. All right, fellas, I want to change the topic for a second, and I want to bring Brock into the conversation. Now, Now, Brock, when we have this championship race with four cars eligible for the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, I mean, whoever finished first of those four cars will win the thing. Now, we've had each time, you know, the, the winner of the race has won the championship. Uh, but I rem- I finally remember days of watching championships unfold where where the, the you know, the TV commentators are saying, Oh, points as they run, and this, and this guy could win, and this guy could win. But, you know, uh, it, it almost seems like the championship four is anticlimactic. And then at the same time, I was watching the race at Homestead. I'm like, oh, why do they even have stage points for the last race? You I mean, know? yeah. The- uh, you know what I mean? So uh, just, just you know, just, just your opinion as a guy who's watched racing for a long time. I mean, do you do you buy into this championship format or not? Because I, I, I do kind of like it, but at the same time, I love the playoffs, but the championship race is anticlimactic. It, it certainly has that potential. Um, you know, you have these different scenarios that work out, and, and you know, first of all, you're going to have four drivers at the end. They're going to put on a good show. Um, we've seen most often that's, uh, that's the case. But, um, you know, I've... Growing up, I always liked thinking of the championship as kind of secondary. A lot of the drivers I used to follow were drivers that wouldn't go for the championship or wouldn't be uh, 
uh, would not end up winning it. So the championship was kind of more of a storyline to kind of link all the races together. And but nowadays, I think the bigger issue is with this format. Uh, the winners of the races is, are secondary. The 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 what happens from one week to the next is kind of secondary. It's all about who's going to get to the next. You know what's going to happen next. It's all about who's going to be to the next round, who's going to be to the final four, and then by the end of the, the, the race, like you said, what's the point of having you know stage points for you know for anybody because you're, you're the race is just going to be focused on those four guys at the end. I mean, if you have a championship battle that naturally uplifts you know one or two drivers uh, to. Uh, championship level by the end of the year that's one thing but there's so many other things that that happen through the field i think one of the things that was great from this past weekend was landon castle driving morgan shepherd's car the only difference they had with their team was getting fresh tires from a longtime sponsor and they finished 15th and had a fantastic they haven't finished that team hasn't finished that well and only twice in the, the, the team's existence since 2007 if they they finished that well in the xfinity series um so it's you know it's it's stories like that that kind of fall by the wayside and that's that's been more my concern with the current format is is everything else the championship it's always huge but now it's so big that it's kind of eclipsed everything else good thoughts man i appreciate that yeah moving on now we uh we talked about the xfinity we talked about the trucks um and there was a big announcement earlier today about a seven-time cup champion who is going to go ahead and hang up his helmet, Seth Gray? Yeah, I, I wasn't, that wasn't surprising to me because I figured, you know, when Jimmy signed his last contract, he only signed it for two years, and it goes through to 2020. So I kind of speculated at the time he signed that contract that uh, that's what he was leaning to, and he would uh, he would finish his career out in in you know, with Hendrick Motorsports, uh, you know, on that last contract. So really, it's not not surprising to me. His comments uh, recently, too, at Texas Motor Speedway and a couple other tracks also hinted at it, uh, that drivers like Mark Martin would go crazy in the series today with the lack of respect, the way the racing is and the fact that Jimmy has said that he does not feel like he's feared anymore, he does not feel like he's respected anymore, which in part is because of a different generation of racer, regardless of their background, whether it's because they grew up uh, with simulators and video games or whether they came up through dirt racing, asphalt racing, etc. It's just a different generation, and that generational gap, for the most part, uh, is one of the reasons why, at least in, if you connect the dots, as to why Jimmy is stepping away. Although I do find it interesting, uh, Jimmy's stepping away right before the new 2021, the next-gen car, mm-hmm. uh, comes available, while Kurt Busch, who is in the same generation as Jimmy, uh, has a contract extension that goes through the end of 2021 because he thinks that... Uh, Chip Ganassi will need a veteran driver to help navigate the new car, while it appears that Jimmy Johnson doesn't think that will matter with the new car. Yeah, I think that's that's just a you know uh, just a matter of how you how you feel about it. I, I mean, Jimmy really, when you think about Jimmy's current situation there, uh, being the elder statesman there at Hendrick Motorsports, uh, you know. 
that may be part of what he's done. You know, talking about, you know, he's not respected. Maybe uh, his advice and, you know, and, and, and being the veteran of that team is, is kind of falling on deaf ears when it comes to, to uh, uh, you know, the, the current crop of uh, youngsters there at, uh, at uh, Hendrick Motorsports. You know, they, like you said, they've come about different ways and, and through different things and maybe, okay, you know, Maybe they ain't paying attention to the old man. You know what I'm saying? They're doing their old thing. And, and of course, the sports changed to a degree. The cars have changed. Uh, uh, the packages have changed. And, and, and so, yeah, you would think that, yeah, someone of Jimmy's stature could, could bring a lot. But, and that might be, you know, part of what he's talking about where, uh, he just feels that, uh, he's not, uh, his, uh, contribution to the team is just going kind of unnoticed or unheeded. Uh, you know, to a degree with those youngsters there, that could be part of it. And then, and Seth, I believe you're right too. This y- younger generation uh, of driver, they don't care about, you know, they don't care what Jimmy did uh, in the last uh, 15, 20 years. They're not worried about that. They're, they're worried about today, tomorrow. And, uh, uh, and that's what, that's what they're doing. They, they go out and, and run their race. Uh, so yeah, but you know it's changing of the guard. It's it's inevitable and, uh, that it's going to happen in every sport. One last thought on this, uh, and to kind of allude to a conversation that we'll have with Brock a little later in the show. The generation of driver today has not had to deal with the hardships that Jimmy Johnson had, or others of his generation, where it's Kurt Busch, where it's Ryan Newman, etc., had when they started racing. There was not an inherent risk the way, or today anyway, the way there was back then of injury or even the worst case scenario, a fatality. That being said, it is still possible today. It's just much more unlikely today. Yeah, and but that's each generation of, of, of NASCAR driver has kind of faced that, you know, as it's gone. You go back to... To uh, and I'm I'm gonna probably say uh, I'm trying to think of who probably is the the elder statesman, someone that can kind of bridge the gap. Uh, there really is nobody that can go back to uh, to uh, another generation. You know, you you know, I followed this sport since the since the mid '60s or early '60s, and of course you, you've seen the cars develop uh, as as a each generation of cars gone yeah so yeah each it's it's get it's going to get better and the same thing same thing applies in IndyCar and in Formula One you know the development of the race car the evolution of the car obviously is going to get you know is going to be safer with each generation and obviously they won't they won't know those risks as you said Seth that the generation before them did and yeah you know I can I can. You know they go in, they go at it with a different mindset. I think that's what you're kind of, kind of trying to to get at than 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 the other guys do. So guys, what do you think Jimmy does next? Uh, do you think he just does you know a couple part time activities here and there? Checks his bank account every day. <laughs> well, I mean he's got a couple bucks there for sure. <laughs> but well, I mean he's uh I mean he he's talked about running open wheel, running IndyCar racing. Maybe on, on 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 road course here and there. Uh, do you think he actually does that, or he just uh, you know just lays back, maybe gets well, some broadcast booth or or whatnot? Well, I don't, well the I don't official 
the official prog- uh the official uh press release from Hendrick Motorsports was that Jimmy's retiring from full time NASCAR competition. And the we've way- seen and we've seen that same thing with uh Matt Kenseth with uh Mark Martin retiring from full time racing, but you know Continuing Jim- part time racing yeah. in whether it's a NASCAR or various other series. Yeah, Jimmy's a different kind of cat though. He he's he's always He's always been different, and I, you know, I was listening to sports talk radio today, and 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 they were, you know, uh, the topic of Jimmy's uh, announcing his retirement came up, and then you're talking guys that typically cover stick and ball sports, but you know, they they do dabble in in, in motorsports from time to time, and 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 the thing that they said that you know, Jimmy is seven time champion along with Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. But Jimmy has never gotten the same respect or talked on the same level as obviously the King and Dale Earnhardt Jr. And basically, I think that comes from the older generation of fan. You know, we're talking about a sport that 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 holds on to its past, dearly holds on to its past. <laughs> you know, and 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 you know. Earnhardt and Petty are two of the most revered uh, characters in the sport, and Jimmy's come along and he tied those guys, and he's he was a, he was a consummate race car driver. But Jimmy did it a different way. Jimmy didn't have the uh, persona that Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt had. You know, he was he came about. He was more uh, uh, more corporate, more. Uh, uh, I, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Um, uh, he was more establishment. Yes, he was. He was. Yeah, he was, I mean, it's hard to he, he, put, he put a word on it, but yeah, but he, he he came in, did his job, exactly, did it, did it well, and and the results are there. Exactly, he was a consummate race car driver, no doubt. But like I said, in a sport where you know, in, in NASCAR, where where the the, the past and it's it, it's his former heroes are so revered. Jimmy was never revered, you know, for his accomplish, accomplishments. I don't think like Richard and and Dale were. And, and you guys can 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 knock that around if you, if you like. See, oh, you we we can knock that around all day long, but it's it's almost similar to how uh, Lewis Hamilton is not revered for his accomplishments as well. Richard, yeah. yes, because he's an idiot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to. Uh, I, I was trying to get a nice bridge to uh, talk about the pretty cool Formula right Formula One race we saw Brazil this week. Yeah. So, uh, so let's talk about that Formula race in Brazil, man. That was nutty, man. That was uh, that was a heck of a race. Um, and Richard, just take us through it, man. Well, you know, it was a dead rubber. It didn't mean anything. Both championships have been wrapped up and everybody's sort of already looking towards the end of the season. Nobody really cares. You know, it was going to be a boring race, wasn't it? <laughs> How wrong were people who said that? <laughs> um, and the you know, first point I want to make is it just shows, again, these these older tracks that we go to, you know, that always end up producing the exciting races or have the potential to produce the exciting races. You know, we're going to Abu Dhabi in a couple of weeks and we go to... Some of these other tracks, these new Tilka domes, as they call them, and they're terrible. But then you go back to the old-fashioned places, the, the Silverstones, 
the um you know the the interlagos places like that the fantastic tracks and produce fantastic races and this week was uh or this week just gone was, was no no different um you sure again mercedes being uh being pushed uh by both ferrari and uh um the red bull team uh unfortunately ferrari charles leclerc had a engine issue during uh the weekend so he had a 10 place grid penalty Going into the into the race, which which sort of made for some fantastic first half of the race, really, where he was able to push and uh, you know make some uh, ground up through the field, which was, was really entertaining. And I see see the young guy uh, do that. But out at the front, it was this sort of uh, back and forth battle really between Max and uh, and Lewis Hamilton, which sort of played out through the pit stop strategies a little bit, and then um, and then all hell broke loose, really. Uh, it, yeah. it all started with the uh, Botas and his hydraulic failure. Yeah. You know, but Botas had a engine failure, which um, you know put, sort of scattered the the pack a little bit, and um, and then that didn't bring out the full safety car, did it? Uh, yeah, uh, it pulled out a yeah, it did pull out a full the safety car. Full safety car, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, he parked in a. I don't think he probably parked it in as good a place as as good a spot as he could, but uh, they they were a bit quick on the trigger with that one. But it, you know, hey, it spiced up the race a little bit, so we're not going to complain too much. Um, and also the uh, new restart regulations, where the they had to wait until they were near the start line instead of being able to gun it uh, at the safety car line. Yeah, which I think is a good rule, really. I mean, I've always been a long, you know. A big ad- advocate for what NASCAR does, you know, have a restart zone because it it stops the drivers backing the pack up and they're not allowed to accelerate and decelerate, but they're certainly allowed to manipulate the throttle, should we say, and um, you know make it uh, harder for the opponents to sort of work out when they're going to make that jump. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you know you, you sort of you had the restart there and then you had the Coming together between two Ferraris, um, <laughs> Vettel and uh, Leclerc. Now, to, to my mind, that, that was purely on Vettel. Uh, I thought as they went down the back straight, he, he moved over on Leclerc, and um, it was um, not the smartest move by by Vettel. And it, again, I think it highlights the pressure that the guy's under. But um, you know, that was a show really put both of those guys out of the race. But it, it moved Alex Albon and. Um, Pierre Gasly into the podium position. So, on uh, on the second restart from the second safety car, you had uh, three Red Bull stroke Toro Rosso Honda powered cars in the uh, in the top three, which was incredible, really. Uh, Lewis Hamilton back there in fourth after he made a late pit stop to go onto some fresh tyres. Um, he got past uh, Gasly pretty pretty quickly on the uh, on the restart, and then. Uh, with a couple of laps to go there, made a, a pretty um, pretty audacious move on um, uh, Alex Albon, um, which was, was never really on, and unfortunately cost uh, Albon the um, chance for the podium, which had been fully deserved. I think he's done very well since he's been at uh, Red Bull there. Um, that then put Gasly back up into second, and uh, Hamilton was, was, was pushing him there towards the end of the race and ended up finishing... Less than two te- two hundredths of a second behind, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, officially he was third until he got a yeah. five second penalty, dropping him. Yeah, to seven. and then post um, post the um, 
the sort of review of the Clash of Shelby, which he openly admitted. I mean, apparently he didn't even go and see the stewards to explain himself. He just was like, yeah, yeah I'm going to get a penalty for that. So, well, that, you know, yeah, fair, fair play. I was going to ask you. He, he did hold his hand up to that one. I don't think there's any any um, speculation on that one. It was pretty... I mean, Albon left the door open, but that's not an overtaking you know, spot. And, um, you know, all Hamilton really had to do was, was hold station and, and uh, be close to him coming out the penultimate corner, and he could have got him into the first turn or at least turn four. So he's a little bit, yeah, a little bit silly. And I think the worst bit was, unfortunately, to say he cost Albon a fully deserved podium. However, it resulted in Carlos Sainz uh, being promoted to podium position, which was uh, Sainz's first podium. And also McLaren's first podium for six, seven seasons, I think. Six six seasons. On top of that, with Honda finishing 1-2, it's the first Honda 1-2 since 1991. Yeah, so... You know, fantastic results all around for everybody. You know, you you uh, you know you, you think of a, you'd, you'd love to see the thoughts of uh, Alonso and um, Ricciardo given Honda's recent upturn performance. Um, but um, you know, and it's always going to come. In all fairness, it was always going to come eventually. But um, you know, Verstappen, you know, that's his race. He deserved that race. Um, redemption a little bit for what happened last year with uh, Ocon when he was uh, unlapping himself there. So, you know, a fair play to Verstappen. Uh, you know, he, he dominated that race. And even when he was behind Hamilton under the pit stop cycles a couple of times there, he uh, he managed to get the job done and uh, and pushed back uh, past Hamilton. So, uh, you know, credit where credit's due on that. He drove a, drove a really, really good race. Now, we're going to back up a little bit to the Ferrari incident <laughs> where yeah. we, we, we saw these cars. To me, the touch looked rather minor. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the same time, we saw, you know, uh, Leclerc's front tire bust the whole suspension. And then, yeah. um, you know, Vettel's back tire just explode. Is this yeah. – uh, you and I talked about this a little bit uh, prior to the show, but um, is it is it the pressures in the Pirelli tires? Or well, is, is – I mean, it seemed to me that contact looked so minor to cause that much it was. carnage. So – you know, expound on that for me. Yeah, it was it was relatively minor contact, as you say. But the sidewalls of the Formula One tires are incredibly thin, um, and when it's under pressure like they are, it's almost like a balloon skin. You know, if if you have a deflated balloon, it, it's relatively hard to pierce the skin. Whereas fully inflated balloon, it's a lot easier to, to pierce the skin of the balloon. Um, and that's basically what happened there. Um, the contact didn't damage Leclerc's suspension. I don't think it was the um, vibration in the tyre um, from either a puncture or just the, the odd balance. The tyre became unbalanced on the rim, which broke uh, Leclerc's suspension there. Um, and then Verstappen. I mean, Vettel's incident was just you know, the carcass was just flailing, and it's just going to shred the floor there, um, which was. There's two ways of looking at it, you know. There's, um, is it right that such minor contact puts two of the best drivers in the race out of the race? But at the end of the day, these guys know the the dangers. I mean, you know, we talk it like it was an in, you know an injury here, but they know the risks involved and the dangers involved in um, you know racing as hard and as close as each other. I mean. You've seen, you know, you look back to Azerbaijan, I think it was last year, and Bottas run over, run over a piece of debris that was, you know, the size of a small coin. And that cost him the race win. You know, so often you see it. And also you saw, I think um, Lance Stroll was taken out of the race 
uh, as well, as he ran over some of the debris from the Ferrari incident. So, you know, these cars are very delicate and, uh, you know, there is times when they can take a fair old impact and survive, but then there's other instances where, you know, very, very minor touch uh, occurs and they uh, fall quickly. Um, so, yeah, it was a shame. As I say, that, to me, that is on Vettel, that incident. I think he moved across coming down that back stretch. Um, but uh, I th- I th- you still wonder whether there is this rivalry between Vettel and Leclerc that everybody bigs up. You know, I know, I'm yeah, sure yeah, yeah, Ferrari plays it down. Uh, said, but oh, I genuinely these guys get along well, them. but I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, so. no, t- at the end of the day, no two, no two teammates get on, really. If you do, then you've got one lead driver and one reserve driver, and they both know the position, and, you know, they're not fighting for a position, or they're not fighting for each other. Um, so to say that, um, you know, the drivers get well is a misnomer, but do they respect each other? Do they treat each other as... Uh, sorry, then I, I think they do. I, I generally don't see a huge malice between the two. Um, I, I don't think that they don't work together professionally as teammates. Uh, I think they do what's necessary, and um, you know they're, they're going to carry on doing that. Um, I think they have to. I think they're both. You know, and the Claire is obviously. I mean, I get the impression that he's wiser beyond his years. Either smart guy for a relatively young young driver and um you know Vettel's obviously been around and probably knows a few of the tricks and can play the game a little bit with his teammates for sure but uh, i i don't have any any question to say that they're both very very professional with what they do all right so we've got one more formula one race this season is that this coming week or we got another week off so it's actually first of december it could be the first time that Formula One season has ended in December. Uh, it's in Abu Dhabi, and then post that, there's the young driver test. Or, no, sorry, Pirelli 2020 test, because some of the lead drivers are taking part in that. All right, so we'll look forward to seeing that. And yeah. uh, But before we go, I, I mean, we brought Brock Beard on here. Now, Brock, how you doing, man? Doing good, doing good. Just, uh... All right, so, so you have debuted a new video, which is called, is it... Four before February, is that what it's called? Uh, three before February, yes. Three before February. And that's, um, it's on YouTube. It's, it's very good. I watched it the other day. And this is, regard in regards to uh, guys losing their lives in NASCAR races. So just kind of take us through that a little bit. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of digest that a bit. Certainly. Um, you know, the... Uh... I did a previous video on Jerry Nadeau, who was one of the, my favorite drivers growing up, uh, which focused a lot on the 2000 season when he won his only race. And uh, while producing that and um, doing the research on that, I was reminded so much about uh, the other tragedies that occurred uh, that season that it was, uh, you know, really Nadeau's win was one of a few just bright spots uh, during a very uh, maudlin season. Uh, the uh, accidents involving Adam Petty, Kenny Irwin Jr., and Tony Roper that season uh, were a mix of uh, several controversies over uh, stuck throttles, over driver safety, over full-face helmets versus closed-face helmets. A-, a lot of things were being called into question during that time period, and including what, if anything, was to be done. And, uh, you know, really in the years since, you know, uh, we, we talk about Dale Earnhardt and, and the, the singularity of uh, his tragedy and, 
And it's described in such a way that it seems that as though that accident just came out of nowhere. Uh, even Earnhardt himself uh, being quoted about uh, saying to Richard Childress at one point, hey, Richard, if they don't do something to these cars, it's going to end up killing somebody. Um, you know, obviously fatalities in, in racing were, were not anything you know new by that point. But uh, most startling is that you did have these three deaths that occurred in just the previous season. And yet, you know, still what was and what wasn't done uh, ultimately led to what happened at Daytona in 2001. Yeah, you know, and, and that was during a time period in NASCAR when technology and, and, and things were at a fever pitch. Everything was, was going uh, at, at light speed almost. The tires were getting so much better and increasing the cornering speeds in these cars. And they and and that technology making the cars go faster and 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 you know particularly in the corners uh, was was developing faster than than the teams were doing you know since that since those wrecks have happened major changes have been done in the seats uh, in the in the seat restraint in the halo the the upper part of the seat uh, then uh, obviously you the the uh, work in the with the Hans device and and those type of things and where they became mandated and things like that. So, yeah, it was it was kind of a tipping point uh, in our sport that basically uh, we had to catch up with technology. The cars were getting so were getting faster. And, and basically during that time period. And unfortunately, like anything, you know, uh, test pilots with aircraft and things like that there there's a there's a point in time in the development of something that that you reach that point and and the only way you learn is is from tragedy almost well and you raise a good point there about the uh, the increased speeds from uh from that same time period it almost seemed like you know that that was such a such an increase that it was treated as if that was like the only, you know, the only real issue. Like it, it's, it seemed like they didn't really, it was, it was like unexplored territory. I mean, the test right. pilot comparisons, very fitting actually, uh, you know, it, and uh, it, it, in some of the interviews that are in the video there, you kind of get the sense that they're figuring it out along the way, which is perhaps a reason that they, they did take so long to do uh, what they ended up doing. And I draw the analogy and go back to, to, to the, to the mid sixties, uh, 64, 65, and in that area when we lost uh, drivers, uh, you know, Fireball Roberts, Billy Way, Jimmy Pardue, these were these were superstars uh, of that era that that we lost in, in accidents. And actually, we learned we learned things from those accidents that were applied to the cars. Obviously, you know, Fireball, uh, his death led to to the development of the fuel cell that we that in in the uh in the safety valves that we that came into use uh there uh the, the Jimmy Pardue and Billy Wade and and Joe Weatherly accidents uh you know we learned about the seat restraints and the belts that we had to use the sub anti submarine belt the shoulder harnesses and things that you know at, at, at times were were deemed uh um you know, uh, they weren't required. They uh, they were uh, recommended, but not required. Things like that became mandated in our sport. And yeah, that's one of those. You know, the same type of scenario that that NASCAR faced back in that time period, they faced again in in the in the in the time that, that we're talking about now. 
I do believe also that it was like a, a major cultural shift at the same time in the garage because it seems and, – and you can probably comment on this as well from that time period – um, the split between drivers that that treat fatalities on the track is just okay. This is just something that happens. There's inherent risks in the sport. It's not going to be perfectly safe. And then others in the garage there are saying, "Well, wait a minute. Let's stop for a second and really look at some other safety advances that are available to us and taking advantage of those." Uh, there was a driver I'd spoken to just at Phoenix a couple weeks ago who was racing at that time period. And he was very much in that first category there that mm-hmm. it was like you had these fatalities that happened, but he understood those risks and that was very much a part of what he was competing. in. so he didn't really think much of the controversy that was surrounding it. And perhaps a part of that, too, is the separation between what we as outsiders see versus what drivers themselves see and, and, and that as well. And there was a generational change coming about at that same time, because if you if you remember mm-hmm. along about that time, uh, drivers like Jeff Burton were just becoming uh, coming into their own in the sport, yep. and they he kind of led the charge for the development of this of the seat and some of these safety things that 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 were that were coming about. And then two that 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 thing too, where you had a, a some drivers that resisted the full face helmet. Uh, you can go back and you know Dale Earnhardt uh, uh, never used the full face helmet; he still used the old open face helmet. Uh, uh, you know, right up to, to, to his death, um, you know, and other drivers accept, readily accepting uh, accepting that. And I believe about the time that that, uh, you know, uh, when Dale Earnhardt was uh, was killed, uh, he was probably one of a very few that was still using the old open face helmet where the, the rest of the field had accepted and switched to the uh, to the to the full face helmet. But yeah, you're right. There was there was some resistance generationally uh, for, from some of these things, and it it, it probably led to that ex, in, accepting you know that inherent risk that that they had always you know been accustomed to. In addition to that, uh, going along the safety lines, the safer barrier was still in development at that time. They mm-hmm. there had been uh, some tests of what was known as the heads barrier. The polyethylene energy dissipating system, which was used at Indianapolis Motor Speedway for a grand total of two races, more uh, spectacularly in the 1998 IROC race when Ari Leyendijk spun, hit the wall, and took the wall with him, uh, essentially. Uh, It was essentially the predecessor of the safer barrier, but the thing is, those soft walls were a couple years down the road, the only real soft walls they could have used uh, were either tire packs, which we have a good example as to why that might not be a good thing uh, with uh, Brad Keselowski in the earlier this year, or styrofoam, which, granted, they could have used huge blocks of styrofoam. They did that at Flemington uh, Speedway, but the speeds at Flemington Speedway for the truck series was maybe a third to half of what the Cup Series was doing at New Hampshire Motor Speedway or even Charlotte Motor Speedway or elsewhere. Yeah. No, and that's a, that's a good point because, I mean, it's in, in, um, in, in putting this video together, I mean, that was certainly a challenge. It's like what, you know, what technology was available and what the things were being discussed. But then, 
you know, there were still things that were maybe, you know, something as big as a safer barrier wasn't something they could do. But then if they know that this Hans device exists and, you know, the reasons why that, you know, that wasn't even mandated. And, and again, you know, like actually what we were talking about earlier about what's mandated versus recommended, um, I think it kind of exposed, you know, some, you know, some. I wouldn't say I mean loopholes isn't really the best word, but I mean you know just just maybe things that were just not you know just overlooked that weren't weren't uh, right. as important at the time. Well, you bring you know well, you bring that, resources that, that, into it, you know the biomedical end of it, you know when they when they would do an autopsy, unfortunately on on a deceased driver and understand the injuries that that were sustained, and then and then then start looking at. at at things in a in a in a, in a forward thinking or uh, way of how we can prevent these these types of injuries, and these are things that they brought just just were able to bring more resources to bear and investigate these these incidents more thoroughly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, go ahead, Brock. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, like, you know, that was that was another thing that really was 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 strange about it, at least from the part that I was able to research there. Sometimes. Um, very much like when I did the J.D. McDuffie book, it was it's it's hard to kind of get to the bottom of what exactly causes one accident or another. And then the second layer of it, what causes the accident to be fatal? And then if you don't have that information, you know, you can't really get that new treatment in there to actually kind of uh, uh, treat it. Mm -hmm. And one mention, uh, one thing I mentioned in the video there was about uh, found that that one article that was saying that uh, the uh, investigators in New Hampshire weren't contacted until two hours after Kenny Irwin's accident. To the point that they didn't even know if he'd entered the corner or not. And, you know, when you don't have all the data in front of you, uh, it's very hard to really learn anything from it. Yeah, and, and, and the thing for me that's so tragic is that the the Haas device was available and ready for sale to race car drivers as early as 1990. But nobody wanted it. Nobody uh, – guys like Mark Martin – Mark Martin said – uh, if you're gonna put this thing on me, I'm not gonna drive. Uh, at the same time, this could have saved countless lives, right? Um, but and you know, all, all, all the research was there, everything was there, but they, it took for it took a couple of deaths and extra deaths to uh, to actually get this thing approved. Um, it was 1996 when the NHRA first approved the uh, Haas device for their guys, but, but it wasn't until 2001 that it was mandated. Um, in NASCAR, uh, the, the, the comic misconception is that it was uh, Dale Earnhardt's accident that mandated it, but no, it was uh, Blaze Alexander uh, exactly. a year later. So, yeah, so, but uh, this, this, is a, this is a device that really kept the guys from from snapping that head back and forth and, and, and you know, the deceleration injury, having your head snap back and, you know, forward and back, that would crack that little, you know, bone in the back of your neck. Uh, but, but, but nobody wanted to do it, man. Exactly. Um, guy said, it was a, oh, it's too bulky, it's too ugly, it's too dangerous. Hey, but uh, this day and age, guys put on their Hans device, like they put on their shoes and that's the thing too i mean it, it's it's very much a tragedy i mean the, the tragedy of, of the drivers that died is is bad enough but the tragedy of the 
response is 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 you know in in hindsight these things always look very obvious i mean when you when you put it out in in chronological order and and you you sift through these things and you put it all out there it's like my god why didn't they see what was happening why didn't they do anything sooner but it's you know just like when we talk about the action from this season or anything else when you're in the middle of it you know you maybe see these other things happening along the way but it's just like oh well maybe these are isolated things or these are freak accidents or it's just something unusual it's only when you kind of have some distance afterwards that you know you really see you know you see all the things for what they are. I, I compare it a lot to like the Titanic disaster and the ice warnings that were received and um, not having enough lifeboats and things that were probably not even concerns at the time, but then just happened to have this particular set of circumstances that brought all those flaws to the foreset. And it's no, no one person's fault. It's just, you know, if anything is you just have frustration over the over global circumstances that made the chain of events unstoppable. And you go back to the sanctioning bodies themselves and how they used to write their rules. They used to write their rules, and when they would when they would talk about safety equipment, it would always say recommended. It would never say required or mandated. And that changed changed after the after that. Now these things are mandated, and that brought in the SFI certification, where the equipment had to be tested through a, a, a independent underwriter that would test this equipment and have to be certified before it could be used. There was a, there was things where the the sanctioning bodies felt that they would be some there would be some type of liability uh, had they required certain uh, uh, safety devices and, and and they and they would have failed. Uh, and that's why a lot of that language was in the older rule books and stuff. So that had to change too the way that the sanctioning bodies handle these things. And then obviously when when things are are mandated, it's different than when you leave it as an as as sort of an optional thing that the drivers can can pick and choose from. So that that's come a long way too and enhanced this current era that we're in now is probably one of the safest that we've we've uh, we've ever enjoyed. Exactly. Well, but, you know, the, the, the big thing with this also is um, for these particular drivers here, I think if there's any positives to be gleaned from all this, not just the safety advancements. Uh, during my research, I found that there are foundations, of course, that are uh, named in the honor of all three of these drivers. Of course, we all know about Victory Junction uh, with the Petties, but also the Kenny Irwin Jr. Foundation is still active up in Indiana. And Tony Roper at a scholarship fund uh, founded in Missouri. And at the moment, uh, in conjunction with this video, we actually did a, a charity auction. Uh, we're going to be giving away a, a picture of Justin Haley's car that was autographed uh, by Haley himself, done by motorsports artist Robert Taylor. Um, we're currently auctioning it on eBay right now through next week. And the proceeds from that are going to be split between all three of their foundations, between uh, Petty, Irwin, and uh, Roper's foundation. So um, I'm very pleased that I mean, you know, a lot of people are, are, are you know, having this discussion about, uh, you know, about safety and about the sports history, and uh, as we are having it tonight, and talking about these drivers as well. And um, you know, I certainly hope that uh, that that will keep going in the future. And, and Rock, I want to thank you for coming on. 
And where, where can we watch your video again? It's on YouTube? Yeah, the best place to find it, yeah, just go on YouTube. If you look up my name, Brock Beard, or you type in 3 before February, it'll go right to it. Uh, the video is an hour and 24 minutes in length. And, uh, yeah, by all means, uh, share the video and share the link to the uh, auction. It's also in the description there. And um, definitely check it out. And I would, I would uh, encourage everyone who racing fans to go ahead and have a look at this. Uh, Brock does some really nice work. Um, his narration is fantastic. Um, his voice is so much smoother and cleaner than mine. But uh, <laughs> at the same time, I just want to—I want to thank you, Brock. I want to thank you, Gray. I want to thank you, Richard. I want to thank you, Seth. I appreciate you guys every week coming on. But we are out of time. So I want to thank all, all you folks that come and listen to us every night. I want to thank Speaker, iHeartRadio, and Who's the Radio Network. Until next week, good night, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.